Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. All right, here we go. True Crime Uncensored, America's premier true crime podcast. I am the legendary Burl Bear, Mark C.G. Boyer, my fact checker, producer and archivist, none other than Magic Matt Allen. Everyone needs a hobby. Dr. Bill, Dr. Bill has an interesting hobby. Write this date down, September 21st, 2021. That's the official re-release date of Watch Me Die. We can, you can advance order it. We'll talk to Bill about that right now. Hi, Bill. Welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on again, Burl. I appreciate it. It's an honor. Yes, it is. It is. Well, <laughs> You're right about that. If you know him, maybe not. <laughs> it's all a matter of perspective. It was such Absolutely. a treat to hear that uh, your fascinating and informative and kind of upsetting book <laughs> is, is uh, coming out again. 2016 was the first time we had you on the show. Boy, time yeah. goes by quickly, doesn't it? It really does. I tell you, time flies when you watch people die. Yeah, especially for them. Yes. Say, everybody needs a hobby, and I'm not quite so sure what a clinical psychologist would say about yours, but then again, you may be one. I'm not sure. (laughs) Well, yeah, I I do have a doctorate in psychology, so I guess that helps. Do you ever uh, lie down on your own couch and talk to yourself? Oh, all the time. But it's when I answer myself is when I start getting worried. Right, that's especially when you give yourself an argument. (laughs) Exactly. That's that's the worst time. We say people become psychologists and psychiatrists because they have deep-rooted emotional problems. Uh, I became this because I suck at math. Yeah, well, so do I. <laughs> so I became a rock and roll disc jockey and a true crime writer. There you go. <laughs> the, the symptom for everything. <laughs> okay, for the audience who is not familiar with your masterpiece of modern investigative uh, true crime and psychological literature, what the hell is it about? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, the, the, the catchy title is, is Watch Me Die, um, and it is being re-released again with the updates. Uh, and most of it is basically about Ohio's death row process um, and how it has... Uh, I, I've attended numerous executions. I have numerous more to attend. Um, and it's just a process of sitting down, eating with uh, these deranged in, inmates on, on death row, having last meals with some of them, and then ultimately watching them die. Um, and it takes you all the way through the process, the political spectrum, as well as you know what, what happens from start to finish. And uh, yeah, so then uh, the updated version goes into some more details on indivi- inmates coming up um, and future executions that I've been asked to uh, witness in the state of Ohio. Um, so now, the statement four dead in Ohio is an understatement. I'm sorry, what was that? I missed it. Four dead in Ohio is an understatement. It, it is. It is. You know, in Ohio, we really like to uh, schedule them to die. We just don't put them to death that often. So, um, and now I currently go to death rows all over the country. Uh, and I have inmates in all the different death rows, female, male, federal, you name it. Um but uh, Watch Me Die focuses on Ohio's death row as opposed to the next one coming out eventually that'll focus on different death rows throughout the country that I've interviewed people on. Uh, companies around the uh, around the world <clears throat> are under a lot of pressure in producing the uh, the lethal lethal cocktail that they give for lethal injections. 
Correct. Yeah, and <clears throat> so how how is Ohio doing this? Are they? Uh, you know, Ohio's a very odd state in the sense that, uh, well, in many ways, but, um, you know, capital punishment has always been a, a, a political hot topic, whether people like to admit it or not. And Ohio's governor, who happens to be Republican, and for all intents and purposes, would normally stand by capital punishment because that's usually their platform. He's placed in a moratorium on the death penalty while he's governor until they figure out the death row protocol with these drugs because of uh, the companies that uh, submit them to our country and they don't want to be a part of anything that's going to take a human life because they're used to save human lives. So he's actually doing what a lot of other states are trying to do now is impose different methods of execution and he, he would prefer to go to the firing squad. which I, was going, I was going to ask about that. Are they going to Bring out the old firing squad, 750 rifles. Yeah, you know, that's, that's where uh, it seems like a lot of states that want to keep the death penalty are, are going towards are, is the uh, um, firing squad. That doesn't sound, if I use the expression, progressive. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, no, not, not very, but in the same token, you have to ask, or you have to ask yourself you know, why we actually use lethal injection anyways, because if anybody's ever witness one as opposed to reading about one the way they put them to death um the argument on whether it's a humane or not can be debated until you know the sun comes up tomorrow but realistically since dead people can't talk you don't know how they felt um but we do know that when they place the paralyzation agent in them and they uh use the you know pancurium bromide and then potassium chloride to stop their heart they make it appear to be humane for our purposes, the witnesses and the media. So, um, you know, you have to question whether or not why we're even doing that and as opposed to just doing what's quick and effective if we're gonna use it at all. And, um, you know, the firing squad, I guess if I had to choose a method, that would be the way to go. I guess it would be quick. Yeah, as I remember, they, uh, they have X number of individuals with the rifles. And uh, some are blanks. And one, of the, one of the uh, guns has blanks, but they don't know which one. Correct. So what they do is they have five marksmen uh, with 30-30 rifles, usually about 25 feet back, not very far, target over the heart. When the execution, uh, when the warden gives the, the sign for the execution, they all fire at one time. One rifle has a blank, nobody knows who has that, and then they, they set the guns down. So, um, you know, and again, that's for the purposes of the people executing them, uh, and you never know who does it. It all sounds very stressful. Extremely extremely stressful. I mean, to the point where I've watched, you know, the guards inside the execution chamber, uh, one would have to, uh, one at one time had to hold the other person's hand steady to connect the uh, IV tubes together because he was shaking so much. Yeah, it's stressful for the person dying and stressful for those people who don't really want be, want to be responsible for killing somebody. Yes. Do we have the electric I mean, chair anywhere? 
Yes. So a lot of places, so I have one in Florida I have to witness who's chosen the electric chair as well. Uh, Tennessee still uses it. Um, so there's a number of states that still use that as an alternative method, or if you uh, were sentenced under the guidelines at the time. So hypothetically, I was placed on death row in, say, 85 or something, and I'm coming up for an execution. At that time, only electric chair, the electric chair was used. Then that I have that right to use that no matter what. Those don't always work well. I mean, historically speaking. Uh, 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 yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I've read some descriptions that didn't look at all pleasant. No, it does not at all. But this individual who wants me to witness his refuses to go out, according to him, with needles in his arm like a junkie. So he wants to ride the lightning. Mm. Yeah. yeah Steve, one, one of Stephen King's more thoughtful novels, <laughs> The Green Mile. <laughs> Yes, yes. No, no. It was much more human than. Uh, it, it really was because you know uh, that was mo most of his material. Is, yeah, most of his material is the dichotomy between good and evil, and the uh, the road that splits the two. And the Green Mile was more uh, was much more human of his, of his of his books. Sure, and it would make you question yourself on what you would do if you were put in certain positions, you know, as a human being. Well, I was a kid. I grew up in Walla Walla, Washington, which is where they have the Washington State Penitentiary. And yep. they had the death penalty there. And we always knew when someone was going to be killed. Because the lights were dim? Yep. You know, and it's, it's so sad when you think about <laughs> all the technology we have nowadays, and they still haven't perfected a way to, to take a human life uh, that everybody can agree on, uh, if, in fact, they do agree on taking one. Um, but again, like I said, Ohio's a little different. If, if you look at the death penalty statistics on the way they're scheduled, um, all states' schedules theirs out for the year. So, you know, hypothetically, Texas would have theirs listed until the end of 2021. Ohio, we go five years out. So I literally have one guy uh, sentenced to die on March 19th, 2025, and they're all listed on the websites. So they, they kind of can put so, that on their calendar? Yes, so they have them, uh, I guess, mark them off. So we have 22 scheduled so far through 2025. Six of those guys are mine, at least, that I'm, that I'm supposed to witness in Ohio. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's really, Ohio's really odd. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> <coughs> has, uh, has any of the individuals that you've been asked to witness their executions, have any of them uh, maintained innocence? No, none of mine. Um, Interesting. They, uh, even at the very end, they, they, none of mine that I have witnessed have been remorseful at the end. Nobody that I've dealt with in Ohio, I think the only one that maintains his innocence that I actually uh, interview and, and, and deal with on a consistent basis would be somebody like Scott Peterson in California. He didn't kill his wife. That, did, is that what you're saying? Is that what he's saying? Yep. That's what he is saying. <laughs> well, there's been yeah. some in Texas that have just blown my mind to read about. Guy, one fellow, who, I can't remember his name, maybe maybe you do, but uh, he kept maintaining his innocence, and it seemed pretty, from all the evidence that I saw, the guy couldn't have done it. He was like, you know, out of town at the time, something. And yet they, they were going ahead and doing it anyway. Right. Well, you know, the states will... 
they will fight tooth and nail not to bring in evidence that can show somebody innocent. It can be, and nobody wants egg on their face, I guess. That's the reason why I still have maps to bodies that need to be discovered and dug up yet from unsolved cases, because not even law enforcement really wants to get involved when they find out that they're prostitutes or things like that, um, because they also feel as though that they dropped the ball if oh, yeah. the victim's been there forever. I don't know if you recall it. Uh, we had the, the uh, fellow on our show, the good police officer, went to work in uh, some place, and the, uh, the chief says, hey, we're getting a lot of static on this case. People say we may have railroaded these guys <laughs> to prison, that they may be innocent. Will you take a look and uh, make sure we did everything right? And he comes back and says, we did everything wrong. These guys are obviously uh, innocent. And they told him to sit down and shut up. But yeah, he did exactly, and he he worked his butt off until he got those innocent men out of prison, and as a reward, he lost his pension because it says I you, can believe that because you can't reveal city secrets, and it was a city secret that, that the they guys were innocent. Guy. Yeah, that's just it's so unjust, you know. And I, I run into brick walls with certain ones where even the FBI has agreed with me that the man guys on death row. Um, and, you know, we met numerous times, and they agreed. But they didn't want to allocate the resources. You know, I guess they'd rather spend uh, the money looking for Jimmy Hoffa. So, yeah. Um, he's, yeah. Under, he's under third base. Yankee Stadium. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, no, no, exactly. No, no. That doesn't exist anymore, <laughs> Burrow. That's why they can't find it. <laughs> That's right. No, they, they tore that stadium up and built a new one. Oh, jeez. Uh, That's like- one of the things that I found fascinating. Uh and and disheartening uh, on the being a part of the show you know you think of our law enforcement except for the handful of bad apples you think of law enforcement uh, from police through the trial want the truth and they want a just outcome but that doesn't appear to be the case no and that was probably the biggest surprise over this decade or more now that I've that I had to learn the hard way is it's got really nothing to do about justice more so than they want to be shown that they were right from the beginning at all cost. And that's, uh, that's it, it is so disheartening. I had a situation that you probably identify with. Good friend of mine is a homicide detective. It was a homicide detective. And uh, I paid very close attention to the case, which they cleared by getting this guy. And when reading all the, everything I possibly could about the case, I found a major discrepancy. And I said, if this is true, that means that the man could not have committed the crime. And the homicide detective just looked down at the floor and said, well, we closed the case. Oh, Jesus. And, and, and they can, I guess, sleep at night thinking that? I don't know. I mean... To me, that just—it's—it's um, it's beyond comprehension in, when, in my mind. You know, you—you you, uh, when I was—you uh, may not be aware of this, but I worked for uh, Lapida, the LAPD out here, uh, okay. as a city employee, um, and I uh, worked in the IT side and was uh, in the middle uh, data collection for the Rampart scandal, and. <clears throat> Despite everyone on the department knowing these guys were, you know, worthless POSs, that anyone that made an effort to apprehend or collect evidence, 
uh, attempt to prosecute them, you know, you hit the blue wall. Right. And the detectives that were assigned to the case through internal affairs and out in the general population, they had to be sequestered in a, se- in a, pri- in a secret location so that no, no, none of the other officers could come after them. Oh, and you know, I, um, I, I would run uh, computer programs to collect information out of the computer systems, and they would come and collect me and escort me downstairs to another floor to hand the information off to another person, chain of evidence. Um, and that person would then take the information and produce formatted output. Uh, and we, uh, I remember that the two of the detectives, uh, two sergeants, uh, one carrying a shotgun and the other have his uh, service revolver in his hand when they come get me, and they're both wearing flak jackets. You weren't, however. <laughs> I was not, of course, because I'm just, you know, a city employee schmuck. And we get into the elevator, and I look at these two gentlemen who I've talked to previously are totally abhorrent to the work they're doing because you know that it's just going to make their lives a living hell if it gets found out that they're the ones doing this work when they go back to general population and i asked the two of them i said gentlemen when those doors open and if there happens to be some bad guys out there who are they going to shoot first and they looked at each other and they looked at me and they busted out laughing and I'm going, that's not very comforting, gentlemen. Do you mind if I stand behind one of you? Uh, you know, the corruption that goes on, I guess. Um, when uh, One of the cases we had on a number of years ago, um, <clears throat> there was cl- it was clearly the pro- pro- uh, prosecutorial misconduct. Uh, withholding of evidence, uh, planted evidence. The, the person was innocent. And they get to the Seventh Circuit, and the ruling was, despite the fact that the evidence clearly shows the individual was innocent, this is not sufficient to overturn the conviction. Uh, you know, it's sickening. Yeah, and, and it's just... It's, a, it's amazing how political all of this just really gets because you're looking at, you know, prosecutors that are elected and, and the judges that are elected. It's, and I've noticed that, I guess, really, in the last couple of years, instead of being more transparent, the death penalty has become less transparent. So this year, Texas executed a guy that they didn't allow any witnesses or not even any media in there. And of course, they blamed it on COVID. Um, and I couldn't attend uh, one execution I was supposed to of Lisa Montgomery, who was the first uh, female uh, federal death row inmate that was executed in 70 years. Uh, she was one of mine. And um, they used COVID for that as an excuse as well. That was this, just this year. Well, uh, was, Vo- was Vorhas a, uh, a state inmate? Elite? I'm sorry, was that? Elaine, you know oh. the you know the female serial killer that uh, oh Eileen uh, Wuornos in yeah. Florida was she state or yeah. federal? She was state. Lisa Montgomery was federal uh, oh. because when she killed the lady and cut the baby out of her, and she kidnapped the baby, and then she crossed state lines. 
so that made it a federal offense. So she was housed in Texas up until uh, just a couple days before her execution in January. She was executed January 13th of this year. Um, then they moved her to Terre Haute, Indiana. That's where they uh, put to death every federal inmate. How did they bump her off? What's that? Well, how, what methods did they use to kill her? Uh, lethal injection. That's all the federal government uses is lethal injection. And meanwhile, they're having trouble getting that stuff. You wind up, you know, injecting him with Ovaltine and God knows what. Else. Well, yeah, you could just go to well, uh, your local veterinarian, veterinarian hospital, sure. and borrow some of their <laughs> drugs. Well, yeah, or you know, go out on the street. I guess uh, we have a drug epidemic, so it shouldn't be that hard. But you well, know, the uh, a nice bunch of they not to. Well, I was I was thinking that you know we could just lock the inmate in a room, play this show over and, and over, over again until they kill themselves. Until they kill themselves. <laughs> You're so depressed. Uh, yeah. the one well, out. you know, no, no, it's. It's funny that you mention that because on death row, they can kill anybody usually but themselves um, because they have this strange belief that if they kill themselves, then they can't go to heaven. Um, but they can kill anybody yeah, else and they're home free? Absolutely. Amazing. That's their thinking. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so the, the, the suicide rate on death row is kind of low. I would imagine. Yeah, meanwhile, they got Jesus waiting for him with a cat of nine tails. Yes. <laughs> yep, they'll put them on a suicide watch for the, the 30 days prior to the execution. So they're watched around the clock. Yeah, with uh, Paul St. Pierre, when he was uh, sentenced to prison for murder, and he was put on suicide watch, and yet he was found dead with feces filled toilet paper shoved out his throat. A little difficult for an individual to do that to themselves. He'd been in a big fight with the guards before. Uh, he went in. Oh, and you, yeah. you had a case where a person was stabbed umpteen times and that was ruled suicide? Yeah, yeah. So he <laughs> fell on that knife 18 oh, times. Yeah, huh? on the front and the back. <laughs> oh, jeez. Then we, we well, had the I mean, one was shot in the head two times with two different caliber weapons. The second uh, shot killed him. So they figured he shot himself in the head and it didn't work the first time so he went on and got a different gun. And then, no. I don't think oh, so. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's really bizarre what goes on behind, you know, prison walls. Because I literally have over 1,500, 600 pieces of art just laying around um, in storage and everything. Uh, because you guys send me everything. Um, and I've got everything from wooden clocks to metal shanks sent to me in the mail uh, from death row. Um, a lot of them will decide to uh, represent themselves in order for them to get the the evidence so then they'll send me the actual crime scene photos and everything taped to, to the back of uh paintings so the guards never see it uh when they inspect it supposedly they inspect it so they send me everything and it, 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 it's odd that they can get away with all this stuff too but they do uh, now as a uh i so you have a degree uh you're a clinical psychologist is that your my doctorate is in my doctorate is in psychology. I have a master's in counseling uh, and bachelor's in criminal justice and sociology. So um, I do I do counsel. I, I'm not a. I never went and took the boards to become a licensed psychologist because I didn't feel like signing over all of my research uh, studies to them so they can vet them because they're human subjects. So 
the, uh, the, the research that I do on death row is strictly funded by myself. Well, I hope you got a good source of income. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you know. I don't uh, think the uh, Department of Corrections is underwriting you either. Um, well, <laughs> well, you know, I've, I have been asked to be put on the uh, payroll for, I won't say which agency, but uh, in order to get information. But I kind of like to go on death row and not get shanked yeah. or stabbed or anything like that. So I prefer to, you know, those the guys on death row, believe it or not, they respect me a great deal. And I, and I give them respect in return. Uh, you know, sit there, you know, handcuffs, no shackles, discuss, you know, how they've murdered, you know, one to 83 people, who knows, raped, you name it. Um, you deal with a straight face, you, uh, joke with them, talk about the weather. Um, and that ensures that you get to come back because they'll tell you that the guards will let anybody on death row. It, they get to decide if you could to go home for dinner or not. So I just keep that in the back of my mind. Uh, have you been uh, any any situations uh, that were uh, scary? Every time I was um, having a last meal with uh, a guy in Ohio, and we had eight hours where we had the whole death row pod to ourselves so we can walk up and down. We actually ordered um, $80 worth of uh, Italian food that was delivered to death row. It's like, damn it, Kimberlin, they're going to kill me in like, two days, aren't they? And I said, you know, Fred, yeah, I'm, I'm afraid so. You know, your time's up. And he's like, but if I kill one more person, like if I kill the person now, they, they can't execute me in two days, right? They'd have to try me, so they'd have to put the execution off, right? And I'm looking around, and I'm that oh, only person. Oh. So I'm the only one could be. <laughs> yeah, so I'm like, you know, Fred, here's the problem. They're going to execute you in two days anyways, and they're going to try in absentia, and it's going, you're going to be found guilty. It's going to bring more embarrassment to your family and, and your friends. And so you need to get that out of your head now. And yeah, just, right you know, now. Right go. now. <laughs> yeah, right this second. And he's like, thanks, man. That's why I have you here, to talk me off the ledge. And I'm thinking to myself, I don't even know where I came up with that ad, but uh, I was pretty proud of myself. <laughs> well, you could have been it. I could have. I wasn't. <laughs> it's, it's interesting, so. the thing about them trusting you. and uh, We were discussing this, uh, 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 Greg Olson and myself and uh, Frank Gerardo, two of the other true crime writers, uh, and you as well, have this thing where people trust us. And someone yes. wants to, I'm the true crime, <laughs> Pearl Bear is the true crime writer the criminals trust. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't you know, know it, why that? Why that exactly is? But they do, uh, which I'm glad they do, because they tell me things yeah. I won't tell anybody else, and they know right. that I'm not gonna do anything bad to them. You know, they maybe right. you've done bad things to themselves, and, uh, and I'll tell them right up front anything that was seven years ago that isn't murder we can talk about. Except bank robbery, that's ten. But you know, <laughs> and they'll you know, tell me stuff. It's amazing the things that they tell me uh, when they confess new crimes to me. And I'm working with another uh, serial killer on uh, Ohio's death row as well, who wants to disclose two more bodies to me. Um, but they, what they do is they, they have you checked out. So I can remember I was one of the first ones to ever interview Anthony Solwell, who was uh, um, the known as the Cleveland Strangler. He killed 11 women and kept the bodies in his house and his yard. Um, and I got this really cryptic letter in the mail one day. It just said, I hear you're a stand-up guy on death row. I'm going to have you checked out. If you check out, I'll be in touch. 
So I'm like, well, good to know. And uh, I checked out. And so the next thing you know, I'm in there interviewing him and things like that. So what they do is they, they will have people on the outside research you and and they'll see that I've never sold anybody out. I've never sold a piece of art. I've never sold a letter. I, you know, I have thousands and thousands of stuff that they've sent me. And I've never sold a single piece because that's what a lot of people do. They make a ton of money off this stuff. Um, so they know that um, I, I'm not out there to uh, disrespect them in any way. Uh, I, 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 obviously, one time, I think I offended Dennis Rader because I was interviewing him a couple times and uh, he had code words we were supposed to use and I referred to him as BTK one time on social media or on an interview and he got wind of that and he put me in carbon freeze so I haven't been able to talk to him since but um, yeah it's kind of weird yeah that's, it's strange that there's a book uh, maybe you've come across it in the penal is called Games Prisoners Play. You ever read that one or seen that book? No. No, I have to look into that. Yeah, you, you will find it absolutely fascinating because some of these games prisoners play make no logical, rational sense whatsoever. And they're really bad. <laughs> <laughs> you go, what the hell? But It's common enough that you could write a book about it, but it's you have to be nuts to think like this. And uh, Yeah. And they got all the time in the world. Until they die, they do. of course. So it's like, if it's going to take five years to totally screw with your life, that's okay. We got, we got right. To. And, and, and sometimes they do. It's uh, You have to be very patient to be in this field. Um, you know, because I'll see people on social media a lot of times. They want to be pen pals. They want to do this. They want to do that. And I don't think they understand the gravity of it because all of these guys on death row know everything about me and my family. Yeah. They know where, you know, my wife teaches, my kids go to school, or, you know, my, where my daughter works, all this stuff, because they have people on the outside that will always look into you. And so when they ask you a question that seems kind of personal, you answer it truthfully, because they already know the answers. Yeah. They just want to see if you're being honest with them, so they can be honest with you back. So over the years, I've, you know, I've learned some pretty good techniques from these guys. The least amount of questions I ask them, the more they tell me. Yeah. Um, they are master manipulators, and I've learned how to be a master manipulator right back. And um, I just use it to my advantage, just like I'm certain they use me to their advantage in some way, shape, or form. As long as it's not with evil intent, and they can tell. Yes, Absolutely. That's why I'll go to, uh, you know, I might go to San Quentin and sit in there for six hours inside the cage with a guy and talk politics or the weather and never ask him anything about their personal life or, uh, or the, the case. Because in their mind, then they're like, oh, then Kimberlin's not here just like everybody else would want to be to pick, you know, get right down to it. Right. Um, so you, you just have to have a lot of patience. Now, I'll give you an example here and see if, uh, how this relates. When I uh, did a book called Man Overboard, The uh, Counterfeit Resurrection of Phil Champagne. Hold on, hold on a second. Hold on. Yeah, he has to write down when I reference one of my own books. He keeps track. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, Phil had had several authors uh, come to see him in prison or want to see him, and he w w wouldn't do the book with them. They didn't know why. Well, I went to see him. We're sitting down outside to drink a coffee out of a styrofoam cup at the federal uh, joint there in Spokane. And I'm sitting there looking at my coffee. And I look up and I say, 
Phil, there's one thing I don't understand. If it had been me, and I was trying to roll this money over this counterfeit money, and do the, I would have done it this way instead. And he goes, you're right. I would have done it that way if, and he explains why he didn't do it that way, because he didn't know enough how to do it that way, but I did, right? So you're it right. wasn't like, what did you do? Why did you do it? It's like, why didn't you do it the way I do it? <laughs> I mean, it helps if you can you know, think like a criminal. <laughs> right. It, it honestly does. And I hate to say that to people, but, you you know, when you're in their house, as they call it, you you have to think that like they do. So when I go to death rows, I, I see as least amount as possible or make any eye, try not to make any eye contact with any of the guards or anything because I don't want them thinking, thinking that. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, you really do have to think that way. Um, I mean, that made all the and, difference and I, in the world. Well, we, we just talked oh, about that one thing on why absolutely. he didn't use the money to buy dope, you know, and turn the money over on Sprague Street with the drug dealers. Instead, he went to Frontier Pies. <laughs> about a pie, you know. I said, "Why didn't you do it the way I do it?" You know, it would have been dark. It's da 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 da. And it, and the money would be less traceable. Yeah, and he says, <laughs> and so we get to have done with this conversation. And he says, "You want to do the book?" <laughs> well, I, I, this is no joke. I, I literally will ask my inmates uh, on different death rows uh, what they're serving in the canteen. Um, you know, on a certain week, or let me know when your favorite food's going to be served, then that, that's when I'll uh, schedule the visit. Because, like in Florida, they have a canteen where you get ice cream and stuff like that, frozen pizzas, whatever, and uh, Ohio, you know, hot sandwiches and all that. And a lot of them, they do have specific foods that they like, so they'll hear through the grapevine, hey, they're bringing this in. Can you make it up this week? Sure, why not? If a piece of strawberry pie is going to get you to talk to me about what's really going on, then I'll be there. You bet. Yeah. And uh, as a psychologist, even though they don't have the piece of paper hanging on the wall, they're a good boy. (laughs) (laughs) Do you ever look at these guys and go, why didn't someone use the brain damage, diminished capacity defense on this person? (laughs) You know, I... I sit there sometimes and I shake my head wondering how on earth could you have gotten yourself into all this? I mean, like, you know, the Charles Ings who with Leonard Lake, you know, killed 25 and needed to like videotape all of them. Oh, you know, so who needs the confession? We got the tapes, things like that, you know? Um, I, I, then, then again, you turn around and I have like really great, you know, well-educated, talkers like Scott Peterson who you can have a conversation with forever and you still shake your head at the end of the day like you know what's going on in that brain of this I've been doing it for 12 years now and I can the only thing I can really sum up is that they're all dangerously normal they're just dangerously normal on the outside and they don't walk around with serial killer tattooed on their forehead no most of them don't uh, since the release of of uh, Watch Me Kill, um, die. He, watch, watch Me, me Die. Yeah. Which one are you talking about? His book is Watch Me Die. Someone else yeah, don't kill Watch Me Kill. <laughs> yeah. um, have you? Uh, you've you've attended uh, other executions after? Yes. Yes. 
Did you ever consider augmenting the book with those those uh, stories? Um, well, you know, I my the, the the next one coming out eventually after I finish another interview with a guy in St. Quentin, it'll be on um, based on the six worst of the worst serial killers that I've done uh, that I've had um, interviewed and had dinner with and things like that. It's going to be called Dinner with the Devil, in fact. Um, so I've expanded on that. Um, but as far as uh, uh, Watch Me Die, yeah, I, I thought that one had run its course at first, and everybody kept asking for more and more on it, so I, I updated it. I, I put, you know, where are they now on another chapter on some individuals that are coming up for execution that I'll be attending. I think I even included the letters that they've written me uh, asking me to attend their execution, so, which has got to be a kind of a An interesting honor. letter to write. A dear friend, please take time out of your busy schedule to watch me die. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. If you're not doing anything. Yeah. And I won't be doing much after this date, so let's get yeah, together. Right. Right. Another, <laughs> another aspect of doing this show um, is uh, talking to the individuals that have spent years on research of a particular incident or case. And the material that we're talking about is can be so heinous and so abhorrent. Um, yeah. I've all, I've found it fascinating how individuals can compartmentalize the material so it doesn't severely affect them. You, Burl was told early on uh, by one of the best uh, true crime writers ever. Burl was told, uh, you know, be prepared to cry a lot. Yeah. You know, I've had I've had a lot of people ask me that, um, and it's a legitimate question. It's a great question. Um, I, I think, to my disadvantage, I've become desensitized to a lot of it um, by using it as uh, kind of like an excuse of it's just a job. Now, I think at some point when I'm done with all this and I get rid of all my death row art and letters and just dump it, um, then I'll probably sit back and reflect on it. Uh, but honestly, I have not, uh, other than the, you know, the, the time where the guy was looking to kill one more person on death row, where, you know, that man, <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, it's usually a four hour drive, uh, from my home uh, to the death house in Ohio anyways. So I, you know, I use that to decompensate when I leave and, you know, uh, decompress and process it all. And, of course, I never answer the phone or anything because it's always the media trying to call wanting to know the gory details. Um, but, yeah, you know, they, they write a lot of really horrible things. They uh, tell you a lot of horrible things, right, you know, with a smile on their face and a burger in their mouth. Yeah. Um, and you just have to, you have to be a really good actor. You just sit there and pretend that it doesn't bother you that they killed this individual and had sex with them, you know, two days later while they were dead and things like that. Um, it's it just, uh, it, it's just, I wish I could explain it, but I can't, um, cause I try not to even dwell on it. Yeah. The only, the only, uh, murderer that I sat and talked to was Rhonda Glover, who, uh, shot her boyfriend 13 times with a Glock 9 millimeter. Six times below the waistband of his shorts when he was already dead on the ground. Oh. 
And uh, she believed that he was having sex with clones in a cave under her house. Wow. And uh, I discovered that she had a very short attention span. And her mood would change depending on the topic we were discussing. And I could tell when I pissed her off. And she'd look at me and I'm going, thank God there's plexiglass between us. Because (laughs) at that moment, I think if she could have killed me, she would have. She would (laughs) have. And what I would do is immediately go, oh, I just remember. You know, I thought it was so fantastic the way you did such and such back in 19 whatever. And all of a sudden, her face would be wreathed in smiles. Her whole mood would change. I had to learn how to gauge, you know, where she was at so that I could keep talking to her. But when I, right. came, when I came out of there, my daughter was waiting for, this was in Texas. And uh, I came out, my daughter looked at me and she said, Dad, she's going to be in prison another 60 years. She can't get to you. Uh, I mean, she could tell just by looking at me. Right. That, uh, yeah, it, yeah, go ahead. You have to be, that's the other thing I try to explain to people that, you know, when you're sitting there talking to these individuals, you have to be, you have to pay attention to everything in your surroundings, including their eye contact, their oh, body yeah. language, oh, yeah. the guards, other inmates. It's, I, I, I literally will spend maybe four or five hours with an inmate, and when I leave, it feels like I, I just ran a marathon, and it's really just mentally drained. Um, because you're so focused on every single thing to make sure that you do get to walk out of there. Now, the great pleasure of talking to Phil Champagne is he wasn't a murderer, you know? <laughs> no, he was just a counterfeiter. Yeah, he was a counterfeiter to a $100 bill. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it, wow. Uh, uh, so we got, we got along famously, and we stayed good friends uh, up, until, uh, up until now. Well, he passed away. But uh, he was a great guy. He was great fun, and he was always honest with me. And we had him on the right. show. He said, Pearl, I always meant to tell you that when I did such and such, I knew what I was doing. And I said, I'm not surprised. <laughs> you know, I knew him well. well. We got close enough that you know, he could just be totally honest with me. Right. And, 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 and you know, I have a few inmates that are like that on death row, and um, but I'm, I'm always so cautious when... Others ask me, like, oh, who's your favorite to talk to or who's your favorite one to interview and that. Oh, yeah, don't, um, man, don't answer because, that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you can't win that one because it's, you know, you have to remember that they've taken the lives of loved ones. And, uh, you know, I'm not there to glorify them or anything like that. So I just brush it off and say, oh, they're all the same. Yeah. yeah. Seen one serial killer you've seen them all. <laughs> uh, no, no. They're <laughs> all. Say that either. They're all you. I saw oh, a thing on, uh, I think it was on PBS years and years ago. They were interviewing these convicted murderers. There were these two guys that would kill together, and they were reminiscing about various deaths like they were really cool cartoons or something. I can't remember uh. the guy that was trying to crawl to the phone to call for help, and he dies just as he reaches the telephone. They crack up laughing. I'm going, oh, my God. These guys are... <laughs> Well, Pearl, Pearl, human beings, and I guess our guest could confirm this, human beings uh, need accomplishments. Yes. And whatever that accomplishment is and whenever it happens, it becomes a part of their identity. 
And reliving those accomplishments is part of the psyche. It's normal. And, you know, you, you might look back at some of the books you've written and go, well, that was really a cool book. Yeah. Right. And so this is their mark in life. And they're looking back at it because it's one of it's their accomplishment. It's what they did well. The other thing right. you got to remember, and I'm sure, I'm sure our guest uh, knows this quite well, that anytime anybody says anything to you, even if it's an insult, it's a bid to connect. Yeah. And that is so important to keep in mind in life that anything is a every communication is a bid to connect. Even if it's negative, and right? Approaches that way. Uh, that's why someone someone says, "You know, Doc, you're really an ass. You know, you're really a son of a bitch." <laughs> and don't give him an argument. You know, you know, you might right. be absolutely correct about that. I hadn't thought about it until you mentioned it. <laughs> right, <laughs> uh, and, and that's how you have to almost, you know, approach these guys or females because I have some, you know. Um, violent females as well on death row. You um, just take everything with a grain of salt, and I don't argue with them at all. You know, I, I respect every bit of their opinion. You know, of course, they're all you know wrongfully convicted and everything else. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah like you know, maybe I Matt has on his show that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and that was one thing that I when I first started that. Uh, Everybody that I interviewed had to admit that they were guilty. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't interview them. And um, since then, it has morphed into so many different death row inmates from different death rows all over the country that I don't even approach that subject anymore. So. Yeah. Well, you, you, got, you have to meet people where they're coming from. It reminds me of the, adv- uh, the advice given by God to the Prophet Muhammad, which was, speak to the people according to that which they think they know. Do you want God and yeah. his messengers to be called liars? <laughs> the book comes out September 21st. They can advance order it, if I am correct. And in the book is, Burl? Watch Me Die. You can advance order it from Wild Blue Press. And, and by so who? By the doc. By the guy here. <laughs> Joe Kimberlin. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, great. <laughs> it's always a pleasure. Hopefully we won't wait another uh, God knows how many years to talk to you again. Good luck with the I book. I appreciate it. Thank you. And, great, uh, you know, yes. when you get your next book on, give us a call. You know, I will. Thank great. you so much, guys. You will be safe. Always we will. Hey, Pearl. Yeah. What's next? Magic Matt Allen and the deranged demons of decadence. Live from the Lightning Up Loud on Outlaw Radio Live. Got caught.